We're going to talk about Jesus today. Uh, you may see some of these Jesus shirts around. We're, they're available to you at the Mordecai Coffee uh, Shop today. So after service, if you'd like to pick one up. Uh, I really felt strongly that in this November, we're meant to truly lift up the name of Jesus. To make sure that people see his name. I want us to be walking billboards about his name everywhere you go to work, to school. On the back it does say Calvary on there, which is great. So people may ask you a question about it. and They might not say anything, but they read it and they might realize that you attend a church. Maybe even ask you about it. But I really believe even you walking around with a Jesus uh, billboard on you is going to bring some people some hope and some stability this year or in this month. I believe it's going to open up conversation. Um, I'm believing God to bring a lot of people to Jesus in the next 30 days. Is anyone believing with me to bring a lot of people to God in the next 30 days? There's a lot of signs out right now. I mean, you drive down the road and you see like 4,000 banners and billboards and little yard signs everywhere. And I just want us to remember to pray for the person whose job it is to clean up all those yard signs this next week because they've got a big job in front of them. But with all these names being promoted, can we, the church, this month promote and lift up his name intentionally? Amen? It's all about Jesus. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And if the name of Jesus isn't really prominent in the church, then we're not really a church. Amen? We're a big gathering of people. But if you don't hear Jesus, if you don't think about Jesus, if you're not being pointed to Jesus, because it's on him that this church is built and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that is built upon his name. Amen. Amen? Are you excited today? Well, this morning we're going to get into the word of God. If you're new with us or you need a Bible or a notebook, we always encourage people to take notes and have a Bible with them today. If you don't have one, we, we have them for you as gifts. There's stations in the center and over here on the sides where you can grab a Bible, grab a notebook. Feel free to get up and go get one now. It's not going to bother anybody. But we're going to get into the word of God this morning. Open up your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of John uh, in the Gospels. If you're new to the church or you're new to a Bible, that's in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So you go right to the New Testament. You can look in table of contents if, again, you're learning how to use a Bible. We love that for people that are new uh, to the church. We don't want to assume everyone knows everything. That means we're just filling it with Christians, amen? We want people that are new to Christianity, new to the kingdom. We want to teach you and guide you along with us. So find it in the table of contents. Go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and go to chapter 1. That's how that works. John chapter 1, verse 29. We've been talking and singing about a lamb all morning. And some churches have removed the word lamb because they don't want to be confusing. I want to use the word lamb and then teach you what it means. Come on, can we get excited about that? Because there's some reason for that word. There's some reason that the Bible tells us that Jesus is the lamb of God. And in the passage we'll read today, it goes on to say that he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world which means it's that lamb that takes away your sin, my sin, and the sin of our nation, and the sin of our world, and the sin of our age. There's only one hope and one way to cleanse us from that sin, and it's the lamb of God who's Jesus. And so in John chapter 1, verse 29, there's a gentleman named John the Baptist that's found in the beginning part of this book. He is a prophet. He's starting kind of the New Testament era. He's kind of a prophet of the Old Testament, transitioning into the New Testament. And the Bible says he's walking around in camel hair eating locusts so that's pretty anointed right there and he was baptizing people getting them ready because 
Jesus, or the Bible would call him the Messiah, or the one that was going to be the savior of the world, was about to come. And so God was getting people ready uh, before he would you know, manifest himself and say, here I am. And so John the Baptist's assignment was to preach about repentance or getting right with God. And then people would go to the Jordan River, it was a big river in Israel, and he would baptize them in water. And they would come up repenting of their sins. And God was positioning people to get ready to see Jesus when he was revealed. And so in this moment, Jesus is revealed to John the Baptist. So he's really getting everyone ready. He's excited about the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, and in steps Jesus. So in John chapter 1, verse 29, the Bible says that the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one that I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who was far greater than I am for he existed long before me see because Jesus though he was born you know in Bethlehem that we would celebrate on Christmas he's existed for eternity amen and so he was prophetically speaking about who Jesus was existed long before me I did not recognize him as the Messiah but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel then John testified I saw the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove and resting on him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one whom you see the spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify that he is the chosen one of God. The following day was again, John was again standing with two of his disciples and Jesus walked by John, looked at him and he declared again, look, there is the lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. First of all, I just want to say I love the response of those two disciples. When they, when they had revelation that Jesus was the Lamb of God, they were like, John, thank you for your time. I'm following Jesus. Today, if God opens your eyes and your hearts, I pray that's what's happening with you today. That as you see him today as the Lamb of God that takes away your sin, my sin, and gets us right with God, that today, like those two disciples, whoever you were following, you would say, See you later. I'm following Jesus after today. Amen. I've seen him. I've I've beheld him. I understand who he is. I want to follow after Jesus today. So that's where we're headed. Maybe you followed Jesus for a very long time. And I pray that today God gives you eyes to see him fresh today. You know that behold the Lamb of God thing? Hey, John the Baptist is pretty spiritual. John the Baptist is a mighty prophet, but he even had his eyes open. You know, there are times that God can use us and we can get in the flow and, and we can say, hey, we know some stuff. But how many of you know God can give you fresh eyes to see Jesus as your Savior today? I don't care if you've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. You can behold him afresh today because sometimes we can forget some stuff. Sometimes we can take some things for granted. But my friend, he is still the Lamb of God who takes away your personal sin and my personal sin and I'm still as grateful today that Jesus is my savior as I was the first day I met him so whether you're meeting him for the first time today or you're seeing him afresh today may all of us have a genuine enthusiasm that comes out because we see and we behold him the lamb of God and because of him my sin and your sin has been washed away paid in full what does that mean that means I now can have complete access to God 
I can have complete access to eternal life. I can go boldly into what God calls his throne room of grace. I don't have to stay on the outside of God's presence. I can go right on in and find my help in a time of need. All because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If he wasn't that Lamb of God to take away my sin, I would still have my sin. But because he was the Lamb that took away my sin, whew, I need a breath. Because he took it away, he gave me his righteousness or his right standing so I can go have access to his father, which is now my father like his father. Amen. And I can receive help in my time of need. Did you get any of that or did I talk way too fast for you today? See, I get excited when I talk about Jesus. I've been so, like Jesus said about the Last Supper, he said, I've looked forward to share this meal with you. I have looked forward to share this meal with you. Because I get to brag on Jesus for the month of November. We get to lift up Jesus for the month of November, and I pray that it's not just the month of November, but it's the rest of our lives, but we all need to behold him again, to see him again. We have our eyes on a lot of things in this world right now, but right now we are going to behold, first of all, Jesus. We're going to start at the beginning, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Whew. I have a little illustration I want to show you over here. Where does that idea of the Lamb of God come in? The idea of the Lamb of God. This is my little... I know, right? The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. If you go into the Old Testament, this is where I want you to know the word Lamb. I don't want to hide it from you and pretend like you're not smart enough to understand I'm going to teach you what the word lamb means so you can appreciate it when we sing about it. Amen? In the book of Leviticus, that's an Old Testament book, all, all over in different places, but especially in chapter 4 and 5. You can look at it later. You can go to the table of contents, find the book of Leviticus, look at chapters 4 and 5. The Bible talks about the high priests, and the Bible talks about sin offerings. And what do you do when you become aware of your sin? In Leviticus 4 and 5, it says repeatedly, when a man or woman, when a person becomes aware of their sin, they're to take a lamb, spotless lamb or the best lamb in the flock that they have, a lamb or a goat, and they bring that lamb to the priest. And what they do then is they lay their hands upon the head of that lamb and they confess their faults and their sins. And the priest would lay their hands on the lamb as well. And in doing so, it was as if they were transferring their sin or their guilt. Let's say this blackness is like the blackness of our sin, the darkness of our uh, breaking God's law and, and rebelling against him. It could be lying. It could be cheating. It could be having other gods before him. It could be lust and anger and adultery. It could be stealing. It could be all kinds of, it could be pride. It could be arrogance. Whatever that sin is, it's, it's black. It's sinful, it's darkness in our life. Are you understanding this? And so the Bible was very clear that when you became aware of your sin, when you became aware of the, the actions that separate you between you and God, that disqualify you from relationship with God, that disqualify you from entering into his eternity, the, the cost and the penalty of our sin, the Bible says, is death. And so when they would, in the Old Testament in Leviticus, when they became aware of their sin, they would bring a lamb to the high priest and they would place their hands upon that lamb and they would begin to confess their sin. 
which I think is actually a really beautiful revelation in itself. So many times we make mistakes when we sin. We want to hide it. We don't want to tell God about it. And I said this last week, but for those of you that are new today, I just want you to hear me say this. Look, when you confess your sin to God is not when he finds out about it. Here's the secret. He was there when you did it. When you confess your sin before God, you're saying it exists and I give it to you. I place that sin onto the lamb who took my place. You see, that's what the person in the Old Testament was doing as they confessed their sins. They were symbolically transferring their sin onto that lamb. So the high priest would put their hands on the lamb. The person who had sinned would place their hands. And as a confession, it was like they're placing those sins upon that lamb. And then here's what would happen in the Old Testament. That lamb would then be offered. It would be killed and then it would be burned and consumed by fire. Now that's symbolic, very symbolic, because the lamb was slain, was killed because of that person's sin. But notice something. That person was able to go away forgiven. That person was able to go away with a clean and clear conscience, knowing that they were right before God. For some of us, I want you to get a revelation today that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Sometimes what we do at church is we, we, we place our sin upon Jesus and then we leave, we take our con- condemnation with us. You understand that? See, one thing I love about the Old Testament, why it gives us these pictures, I think these pictures are to give us understanding of what happened in the New Testament that we just kind of read over it and we're like, yeah, Jesus was the lamb and he forgives you of your sins. And you don't realize because in the Old Testament, there was a a transaction. They placed their sin upon that lamb and that lamb became their sin and took their place because the penalty of their sin is death. The penalty of your sin and my sin is death. Are you understanding this? And so there had to be shedding of blood because life is in the blood. And there had to be determination and proof that life was shed because sin is that bad. As much as we want to call it, I missed the mark, I made a mistake. Sin is that bad. But the Bible says and shows us this picture where where your sin was then placed on that lamb. And that lamb was slain and burned and consumed. Why the burning? What's the fire mean? The burning and the fire represents the judgment of God upon that sin. And so the judgment and fire of God would consume that offering. Amen? That's what happened in the Old Testament. Here's what's beautiful in the New Testament. That Jesus, our lamb, when he was offered on that cross, our sin was placed upon him. The Bible says he became our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. See, our sin was transferred upon Jesus. He who knew no sin, because he was our spotless lamb, became our sin for us that we might become the Bible says in righteousness the righteousness of God in right standing with God amen so he took our sin and gave us his right standing he was spotless he took our sin he gave us his spotlessness can you just fall in love with Jesus all over again for a minute amen here's the cool part about the Old Testament the fire would consume the lamb The judgment and wrath of God would consume the lamb. In the New Testament on the cross, 
the lamb consumed the fire. The lamb consumed all the judgment of God, so there's no more judgment for you. There's no more judgment for you. In the Old Testament, that's why Jesus is a greater lamb. Jesus is a greater sacrifice because that lamb was an overpayment for your sin. You owed $1,000 and Jesus paid 10 quadrillion bazillion dollars. Write that down. Quadrillion bazillion. But what I want us to see is this picture that when someone in the Old Testament put their sins upon the lamb, they knew what to do afterwards. They left and they let their sins stay on the lamb. And they let their sin consciousness stay on the lamb. And the guilt and the shame because, see, God provided this for forgiveness of our sins. If God wanted to hold our sins against us, he wouldn't have made provision to remove our sins from us. Somebody write that down and say amen. If God wanted to hold our sins against us, he would not have made provision to remove our sins from us. And so when John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they understood what that meant. And that's why it's wrong that we lose the language of the Lamb of God because you don't understand the value of the transaction that has happened for you. Amen. And today when you walk out, I pray that you behold the Lamb of God who paid for the sins of you and the world and that you can leave those things on his shoulders and trust him that you have been given his righteousness and leave and go have relationship with God and stop beating yourself up for what you did yesterday or last week or last month because Jesus is the Lamb of God that took away and paid for your sin. Amen? The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, let's go there to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read it to you. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. Verse 18 through 22. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Can I just remind us today that all of this is the initiation of God. Nobody persuaded God to come in. Nobody bought him off. No one bribed God to do this. Like, look at this. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from an empty life. From the moment mankind sinned in the Garden of Eden and we allowed sin to come into the world, God began to prophesy the coming of Jesus to pay for that sin and to defeat that curse and to defeat that sin. I don't know why people have this idea that God is trying to hold man's sins against them, that God is looking to punish you and looking to send you to hell. My friend, we were going to hell and God's the one that's trying to get us out. God's the one trying to rescue you. God's the one that's initiating payments. God's the one who took it on himself to come and stand in your place. Don't you ever accuse God of trying to send someone to hell. God's been trying to rescue us from our own mistakes, from our own judgment. Our God is awesome and his love is amazing. We're sending ourselves to hell and God's trying to get each and every one of us out. People say, I can't serve a God who would send someone to hell. Then you don't understand who God is. He's been lied about. He's the one trying to keep you from going there. But he didn't have to. And I want to remind us of that, my friend, because we forget how good God is. He didn't have to come. He didn't have to die. He is complete. He is eternal. He is self-sustained. He does not require our worship or require us in any way. Whether we live or whether we cease to exist doesn't change him. He's still God. Do you understand that? So God in his great mercy, God in his great love for us, God in his great desire for us chose 
to rescue us. He could have wiped us away, but he chose not to leave us in our sin. Is anyone seeing this today? Maybe you're not used to the enthusiasm you see in the room right now, or even maybe I'm being a little too, having a little too much volume for you today. But I got to tell you something. When I start talking about Jesus, it's passion. I'm not yelling at you. It's coming from a fire in my belly that says, look, we've played games with Jesus far too long and we don't understand the extent of what God has done and the value of what he's done. And, and I'm here to compel you like an ambassador to get right with God. He's made a way. Amen. And that's not me just, you can't just look at someone casually and say, well, do you want to know Jesus or not? It's okay if you don't. It's no big deal. It's the huge deal. It's a big deal. First Peter chapter one, let me keep going. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were, I love this, cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters love each other deeply with all of your heart. So let's ask a couple questions. One, for those of you that might be new, and maybe this is a big conversation that you weren't ready for. Let's start from the basics. Have I sinned? Do I need a savior? The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, chapter three, verse 23, for everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We just need to own that. Stop trying to hide it. Stop trying to say, well, I don't believe in sin. It doesn't matter. It's still there. God is God and there are things that he has required of us and things that he's set us to, to live and do and think and be. And we've missed it. And we've missed it. And just because we don't want to call it sin doesn't mean it's not sin. It's much better just to own up to it and say, you're right. I've lied. I've stolen, taken things that don't belong to me. So what happens sometimes is we say, well, I'm a good person. But how do you know you're good enough? And how many good deeds outweigh a bad deed? Do you know what tormenting that would be? How do I know if two good deeds replace one bad? And what if this was a really bad one? Is there a menu somewhere that says that one takes 45 good deeds? Do you know the torment we live in? to wonder if we're qualified or if we've done enough. God wants to take that torment away because there's only one sacrifice that's worth enough, that's big enough. There's only one action of good that was big enough to pay for all of our sin and not just my sin but the sins of the world. That's how big and how good the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross is. Amen? All of us have sinned. Every one of us deserves separation from God. None of us are perfect. How can an imperfect being go into the throne room of the perfect God of the universe? 
When you start looking and thinking in that direction, you realize, wow, maybe I have sinned. See, what happens sometimes in our lives is we forget there's only two kingdoms. There's only the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. There's only the God Almighty and the God of this world. And some people like to believe and lie to themselves and say, well, I don't serve God, but I don't serve the devil. My friend, you don't get your own kingdom. You're serving the devil's kingdom and he's lying to you to let you believe that you're not. And he's blinded the eyes of the God of this world has blinded our eyes. There's only two. You don't get one. Amen. All of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 says the penalty and wages of that sin is death. That's separation from God. That's eternal darkness. That's hell. But the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, somehow people have gotten this impression that God's just overjoyed trying to send everybody to hell like it pleases him somehow. And, and our Bible, your Bible, my Bible, what it really says is that we were on our road to hell. But he's trying to bring us a free gift. Now it's not free to him, it's free to you. The free gift of God is eternal life. God's trying to keep you alive. God's trying to give you a hope and a future. Come on, my friend. And I said it was free to you, but it wasn't free. Just like the freedom we have in this nation that we get to enjoy. That freedom's not free either. There are people who've laid their life down and given their family members so that we can have that freedom. That's where you say freedom isn't free. And the same thing's true with this freedom from sin and this freedom from death. It wasn't free. There was a cost. There was a lamb that was slain. There was God who chose to come in the form of a man and live a pure and sinless life so that your sin could be placed upon him. So that he would die in your place and his blood would be shed. And he would consume all of the fire of God's wrath to you so that all that's left, there's no more wrath left. There's just relationship left between you and God as you stand in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. I love that. It's, it's when you believed. It's not when you got all your life worked out. See, because here's the deal. Today you can accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Today he becomes that payment for your sin. But you know what? We, many of us have grown up living a certain way for a long time and there's certain mindsets, certain habits and actions that are still going to be there even after we give our heart to Jesus. But praise God, now we have God's help to overcome and outwork those things. Amen. But I want you to see that the moment you believed, he saved you. Not the moment you started acting perfect. How many of you have been acting perfect yet? Anybody gotten there? We'd like you to raise your hand and coach us. Hey, there are days I wake up. You can say, well, you're a pastor. You should get it all together, my friend. There are days I wake up and I feel super spiritual. I feel so holy I could part the water in a water fountain. <laughs> and then there's days I wake up and I'm making mistakes left and right. I feel so unworthy that I feel like I can't even part my hair. But it doesn't matter what you feel, my friend. Doesn't matter if you've become 
your actions are perfect or not perfect yet. You just keep hold of the lamb. You just keep holding on to Jesus. He's your sacrifice. He makes you right with God. And he's gonna, he who's begun that good work will be faithful to complete it in you as long as you keep holding on and walking with him and never run away. Whenever you sin, you, you keep holding on to the lamb. You don't let that sin push you away from the lamb. You say, thank God for the lamb. See, that's when a revelation hits you where every time you sin now, it doesn't drive you away from the lamb. It makes you say, I'm so grateful for the lamb. Help me, Lord, to now outgrow these mindsets and these habits and these things. And God's not scared of you and he's not scared of those habits. Amen. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. There it is again. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so none of us can boast about it. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so none of us can boast about it. It's the good things the lamb has done. It's the good things the lamb has done for you. One last portion of scripture I want to point you to today is in John chapter 8. Are you getting anything out of this today? John chapter 8, one final story. I want you to see this kind of in real time in a story in the Bible. John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. We find here a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. And the religious leaders of the day take her and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, this is verse 1, early the next morning. He was back again at the temple. A crowd gathered soon, and he sat down and he taught them. And as he was speaking and teaching of the religious law, and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw in the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. There's two parts I want you to remember. Underlining your Bibles when Jesus said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then the part where he says, didn't anyone condemn you? She says, no, Lord. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Why do I bring this in particular story to you today? I was reading this years ago and I felt the Lord opened my eyes to something I had not seen before. And I've heard this story most of my life and people focus on Jesus. what did Jesus write in the sand and was he writing the Pharisees' sins in front of them to remind them that they're sinners too or what did he write and there's all this questioning on that. But one day I felt the Lord show me that sentence when he said, let the one who's among you without sin cast the first stone. And the teaching I've been raised on was, see, all of us have sinned. So, you know, the Bible says the Pharisees all dropped their stones one by one and, and they left. And so that was kind of the lesson. We're all, we're all guilty or we've all sinned. We're not perfect. But it's not what he said. 
what he was saying was there's someone in this crowd that is sinless. There's someone in this crowd that has permission because truly all sin is against one anyways, against God, it's against the people, but it's all, all sin is linked back to God too. Though you might think you just sinned against a person, all sin is against God. But in that moment, he was saying, let the one in this crowd without sin cast the first stone. And then he was actually giving them permission that once, once the one in that crowd without sin cast the stone, then all of you can cast your stones. But if the one in this crowd without sin chooses not to cast that stone, then none of you can cast your stones. See, there was someone in that crowd that fits that bill. There was one person in that crowd without sin. And who is it? Jesus. So what he was saying was, I have permission to cast the first stone. But I want you to see something. He chose not to. See, when you think God is against you and you think God is looking for reasons to punish you, you think God is looking for reasons to judge you, he looked at her and he was about to cast that, he, he wasn't going to cast that stone, but he was saying to her, look, I have permission, I have every right, according to the law, I have every right to cast that stone, but I'm not. I am not throwing stones at you. I am not here to accuse you, I'm here to save you. I am not here to bring you judgment, I'm here to bring you life. Amen. But I want you to know something, when when he gave her permission to go free, he wasn't giving her permission to go free and just ignore the fact that she was committing adultery. Because he wouldn't be a just God if there wasn't a payment. You see, when they said she should die because of that sin, they weren't wrong. And so it's not like Jesus was just giving her a get out of jail free card. When he said, neither do I condemn you, the reason he could say that was because he knew he was about to become her replacement. He was about to become her payment. Are you seeing this? He wasn't just wiping it away as if it didn't happen and there's no payment, there's no, no harm done. No, Jesus wouldn't violate the law of God. He fulfilled the law. Jesus wasn't just turning a blind eye. He knew very well what that forgiveness was about to cost him. But I want you to see his spirit and his heart in that. He had every right to throw that stone, but he didn't. Instead, he took her place and her death was now going to be upon him. Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Sometimes people may say, but I'm too far gone. I've sinned too greatly. Here's one, have you ever had this mind game? I knew better and I still sinned anyway. It's almost like if we sin in ignorance, somehow that's better. Sin is still sin, whether you, you knew you shouldn't have or you didn't and you did it in ignorance, it's sin. You're understanding that? But sometimes we try to disqualify ourselves. I'm too far gone or I knew better and I still sin. Or this sin is just unforgivable. I'd like to say something to you that I hope you write it down and you take it into your heart as we close. Our confidence 
is not in how minor or great our sin is. Our confidence is in how good and perfect and great our lamb is. Our confidence is not in how minor or great our sin is. Our confidence is how good and perfect and great our lamb is. So you might ask one final question, Romans 10, 13. How can I be saved? How can I accept this sacrifice? How can I be made right with God? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. He did all the heavy lifting. He did all the hard work. And he's saying to you, if you'll just call on my name, then I'll be your lamb. I'll be that sacrifice for your sins to take them away so that you're made right with God. And you can have access to the throne of grace. You can have access to eternal life. You can have access to the Holy Spirit. And you can have access to great and precious promises. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.